Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. In Scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him, which was confirmation that in this moment when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her. And that in an instant, from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me to help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind. She wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment. Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. EverStory is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation, told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16:15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find EverStory wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow Doxology Bible Church on Facebook or Instagram at Doxology Bible. Want to share your story or know someone who might? Send us an email to stories at doxology.church. Because everyone has a story. Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. It's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. Hey, good morning, Doxology. We are so glad to have you. We can't wait to gather in person again soon, but until then, so glad that you're with us, whether you're on your phone or in your living room. We're right in the middle of a series called Things That Go Bump in the Night as we look at Jesus' last message to his disciples the night before he was crucified. Now that night, we see him prepare them for a world that's filled with scary, uncertain, and dark things. Jesus gives them instructions on how to live in the night. He starts that message in John 13 by modeling the type of love he was calling us to have for each other. Last week, we saw him promise his spirit was coming and would be with them 
And today we'll be looking at John 15. You know, I don't know about you, but the worst part about the night for me, or when things go bump in the night, is being alone. I'm certain that kids like to have sleepovers for three reasons. To stay up later, avoid being alone at night, and to explore how sleep deprivation and excessive junk food can lead to emotional meltdowns. If I'm honest, I've had those moments where I don't like being alone at night, when I hear something outside or in another room. And my guess is you have as well. In fact, if you Google this fear, it's incredible to see how common it is with adults. There's support groups, psychological articles, and people sharing on message boards of staying with bad roommates or in unhealthy marriages because of the fear of being alone at night. Many of us have encountered this fear in a different way in the midst of this pandemic, this season of night, haven't we? I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with people who talk about not a fear of dying from COVID-19, but of being alone in the hospital. I spoke with a person just the other day who had been in the hospital for another matter. And they said the whole time they were there, they never saw another person's face. That isolation was almost debilitating for them. For some of us, as we think of life in Christ now, we may not know where we got this idea from, but we see it as something where God has left us to do it all on our own. The life that God wants for us looks like thanking God for what Jesus did in the past and awaiting his return in the future. But here in the now, it's just me. I'm responsible to live out his commands. That's all on my shoulders, isn't it? Well, as Jesus got ready to send these disciples to influence the night, he wanted to prepare them to face their greatest fear, even if they didn't know what exactly that was. See, it wasn't political leaders during that day. It wasn't a fractured society on the verge of rebellion. It wasn't the death that they all would face as martyrs. They'd live some of their nightmares, and so will we. But the promise that Jesus gave to them and to us is the best news possible. See, we don't ever have to fear facing any of this alone. Look at what he says in John 15 as they begin to walk into the night. We'll start reading in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. This is the last of the I am statements, which are made by Jesus throughout the Gospel of John, declaring his identity as the Son of God. Often these statements are emphasizing the permanence of the relationship between Jesus and his people. Now, as he says this, he says, I am the vine. This is an allegory illustrating the type of life that God wants for us. And Jesus continues it in verse two, for he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
A branch is only alive if the sap flows from the vine into the branch, bringing it life. In the same way, life can only be found as we remain connected to Jesus. That's his point. He is the life giver. And God's plan for what life would look like for us here was never that that you would be on your own, isolated, distant from him, but always connected closely to him. In verse 4, we see his expectation for you with the command to remain in me. What does that mean? What does it mean to remain? Well, to remain, or as some translations use the word abide, means to find your home, your connection in him. Think of everything that we associate with our homes. Comfort, security, rest, identity, and so much more. Find all of that, not in possessions, not in relationships or, or your performance, but in Jesus. This command to remain in me is not a one-time event. This is to be a constant moment-by-moment action. See, in any relationship, both parties must be engaged. And in this one, God takes the initiative. See, he provides all that we need, but cannot happen without our response. You know, I've had this cell phone for nearly six years. That's a personal record for me. The battery is, is, is now awful. It needs to be plugged in constantly to, be, to a power source. But I'm still amazed at all that they can do. They can track me when I'm in the middle of nowhere on a road trip through Mississippi. It can make calls across the world to friends. It can give me the true story of Hamilton's duel with Burr. Or it can play my favorite video of my son falling asleep while eating. All of that is accessible only if it remains connected to the power source. Now, I've had moments a lot recently where all of that is inaccessible because it dies, because it's not connected to the life source. For us as followers of Jesus, that's the image of the life God designed for you and me to experience every single moment of every day. Jesus has told us that we have the spirit of God residing in us. The question is, does the spirit have you? See, he's remaining in you. Are you remaining in him? Finding your home, your comfort, your security in him. The result that Jesus envisions of this union is that each branch bears fruit. Jesus makes an extraordinary claim here. Everything that God does in your life is to position you into the best environment to produce fruit. He cuts off or he he lifts up every branch not producing fruit in order to make it healthy so that it will. Those who do produce fruit, he prunes or he cleans it to once again maximize the branch's ability to produce more fruit. Think for a moment about that claim in relation to the night that we find ourselves in now. Or those seasons of difficulty, of trials, of anxiety or fear that you may encounter. God doesn't put you in those positions because he's not powerful enough to prevent them. Or because he's up to no good. But that's what we're tempted to believe, isn't it? See, perhaps for you, over the last several weeks or months, you felt like the darkest of night was now. It's been hard and you weren't sure where he was or what he was up to. There's no victory in your life. See, in the midst of this, God remains on his throne. In the midst of all of these hardships, still working with intentionality in order to produce in you more fruit. Is it possible that in this season, you may have been trying to live apart from the life giver, 
And the pruning that he is doing in this season is to cut out things you've been relying on for life or for joy or comfort or security rather than going to him. I know that's a question I've been asking. What's the Lord needing to do in this season of night in me so that I'm in better position for him to produce fruit? Over the last several months, I know that's one of the things I've been convicted of in my life. I'm not looking to Jesus first for comfort or joy. I'm watching another show on Netflix. I'm getting too excited about getting to eat out again, rather than finding that joy in him. There are a variety of other places that we can go to fill that void. But Jesus invites us to come to him. See, the life God wants for you is reliant on his strength, not your own, through his presence and your availability to produce fruit. Think about that. It's a life resting in his power, his goodness, a life reliant upon him for everything. It's resting in the fact that he is big enough and good enough to give us exactly what we need. That's not in the past or someday in the future, but this day, yes, even in the the chaos of 2020 and every day until he returns. Doesn't that sound incredible? I don't know about you, but this almost sounds too good to be true. Yet for many of us, we miss out on this. I know that my daily experience doesn't look like this all the time. Why? Why do so many of us miss out on something this good? Having Jesus moment by moment with us in real time for all time. Instead, like almost any scary movie ever, where everyone does the opposite of what any rational person would do, we look at a life with God's presence at all times, and it's as if we say, I think I'll try this on my own for the four billionth time, despite the fact that it didn't work so far. Why? Well, Jesus hints at three reasons we do this in the text. Let's take a look at those. The first is this. We're too complacent. We are too complacent. Notice in verse 2, Jesus says not just some branches, but every branch. See, we read something like this are prone to write it off as the plan for the super spiritual class of followers. That's not me. You know the Marines mantra, the few, the proud? They get to experience this, but the rest of us don't. But that's not Jesus's vision. And yet for many of us, we settle for less than this as we get complacent with how our lives look right now instead of living out this reality because we look at this and think it would be harder or be less rewarding than life lived on our own. What's the solution God gives? God removes what's distracting. See, the idea of pruning was that the vine dresser would cut away or remove anything that was preventing the branch from developing. When we live in complacency, avoiding a life dependent upon Christ, the promise here is that the Lord will work to take those things away, not as a punishment, but like a parent who has perspective to remove a lesser thing from a child so they experience something better. The Lord removes what would keep you from Christ. So complacency is the first reason we miss this good life that he has for us. The second is this, we're too committed elsewhere. We're too committed elsewhere. You and I are not neutral creatures. We remain in, we are preoccupied with, we look to something or someone for meaning and identity always. Jesus is coming and he's asking, hey, how's that working? 
How is life when you are looking for joy and identity in a job that asks you to cut corners and sacrifice time and pay again and again? How is life going? How is life going when you are looking at that hobby that takes all of your free time and becomes more and more of a drain on your bank account and a strain with your relationships? Is it giving you purpose? Is it giving you meaning? Instead, Jesus is inviting us to life with him, remaining in him, the solution. God reminds us of the need. God reminds us of the need. Jesus says in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Meaning nothing of substance or eternal or lasting value can be done without him. Yes, we can do all those other things, but we want a life, a legacy We must be wholly and completely dependent upon Jesus showing up in our lives to make that difference. See, we miss this good life because of complacency or our commitments elsewhere. And now lastly, we miss out on the good life because we are too crushed. We are too crushed. Isn't that true for some of us? We look back on our brokenness our repeated failures, our inability to break sin patterns or treat others with grace and forgiveness. And we think that that type of life where Christ is with us moment by moment, there's no way he could be that accessible for me. It's too much. I'm too much for him. We think he would treat us the way that we treat our kids during quarantine days. We're we're great the first 11 times they come ask us for something or we have to get on to them for arguing with their sibling or putting a hole in the drywall or pouring out all the liquid soap. But by the 63rd time of the day, we're done. Isn't God the same? Well, the solution that he reminds us of is found in verse seven. He invites you to come. He invites you to come. It says there in verse seven, ask whatever you wish. See, there are no high maintenance followers that he's tired of dealing with. Jesus is saying, my presence in life, I'm bringing to you. Bring your crisis, your doubts, your weakness, and bring them to me. You won't exhaust me. Keep bringing them to me. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. He's not tired of you right this very second. You'll never be too much for him. Isn't that comforting to know? That Jesus wants us to come again and again with our weakness and he promises us to take that and to replace it with his strength. Isn't that the type of life that we want? Well, how do we know if I'm remaining in him, if I'm living that type of life? Well, he gives us four markers in the rest of the chapter. The first one is found in verse 10. It's obedience. Obedience. Jesus says that in the same way that he abided, or that he remained in the Father by obeying, so we're to do the same. There's a way in which we hear remain in or, or abide, and we think of this uber-spiritual feeling that comes over us. And yet, first and foremost, he says that remaining in him looks like keeping his commandments. Obedience always brings greater connection with those in authority. Kids, God has established an incredible pattern for you to practice this right now. See, as you think about your relationship with your parents, God's established those relationships as a way to practice this idea of obedience with them. But remember the invite. Not trying to do it on your own through your strength or wisdom, 
but looking to him to empower you to do it through his strength and his guidance. So first we see remaining produces obedience. But secondly, in verse 11, we see that remaining produces joy. It produces joy. Ask this question, do you think Christians are known for their joy? I don't know that we are. Why is that? Why are we more prone to be fearful or pessimistic or complaining than we are to be joyful? I love this quote, joy is a flag that flies over the castle of our hearts, declaring that the king is in residence. See, remaining in Christ produces that type of joy. That's what Paul had when he was in prison cells or he was writing letters. He had that type of joy. It's not pretending everything is okay. It's admitting that it's not, but acknowledging that in the midst of the night that the king still reigns. And for that, you rejoice. Remaining in him produces obedience. It produces joy. The third we see in verse 12 and 13, it produces sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. This was critical to Jesus's last message to his friends. Your life will look like mine when you're remaining, and that means costly giving of your life for another. This is a choice. That means in relationships, forgiving one another out of love. Remembering, as Corey Ten Boom said, forgiveness is not an act of the emotion, but of the will. Forgiving not because they deserve it. They do not. Neither did you. And Christ forgave you, calling you to do the same. It looks like laying down your interests, your rights, your preferences for the sake of others. It's lingering in a conversation that isn't easy because someone else seems to have more that they need to say. So you sacrificially love them by listening. So it produces obedience. It produces joy. It produces love. The fourth we see in verse 18 and 19, endure opposition. Jesus closes the chapter out with this reminder to expect external opposition. Just in case you begin to wonder if a life of remaining in Christ would be free from opposition, or maybe you get tempted when things get difficult or the response from others isn't what you would have expected to think it's some type of tell that you're not remaining in Christ. Jesus says, that's not how it works. Don't forget about how they treated me, how they responded and rejected me. Expect it as well, but know that I'm with you in it. Far too many of us miss out on something this good, friends. But here's a warning for us. You can't do this on your own. I can't do this on my own. The branch doesn't manufacture these things and allow them to last. God's not telling you to go be joyful, to love, to face hardship and have you run out and attempt it on your own. Remember, apart from him, we can do nothing. That's not what Jesus wants for you. Instead, to rest and to look to Christ for security and comfort and purpose and identity. That's the gospel. And we need to be reminding ourselves and one another of this regularly. To remain in Christ is to recognize this good news, that just as we receive Christ by grace through faith, we must continue to trust and look to him for today and tomorrow, and however many more days God is gracious enough to give us, embracing in and living in him. In the late 19th century, there was a small village in England that wanted to host a revival service. And there was talk of bringing in a well-known speaker named D.L. Moody. He was the Billy Graham of his day. As the discussion went on, one young man got up in the middle of this town meeting. He was flustered and he, he shouted out, I'm tired of this. Does Moody have a monopoly on the spirit of God? Is he the only one who has God working in his life? Everyone else in the meeting was hushed 
couldn't believe he would say something like this. Till one old man stood up and said, no, son. But is it possible, perhaps, that the Spirit has a monopoly only on him? Christ invites you to this type of life where you've put down roots with him and invite him to put down roots with you. What's keeping you from him? Is it complacency or commitments elsewhere? Perhaps feelings that you're too crushed? Christ addresses all of those. and He invites you to come. Remain in him. Find your home in him. He's not tired of you right this very second. You haven't worn out your welcome. He loves you coming to him 50 times a day and then coming one last time and saying there's nothing else. He knows there's going to be. He longs to be near you, near those places where you are most in need of him. See, it almost sounds too good to be true. God with us every moment so we don't have to face the night without the presence of his light. Praise God for his good plan. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word and the way that it reminds us of our need for you and your desire every single day to be with us. Lord, we thank you that you have promised us that you remain with us, that for those who have trusted in Christ, we know that we are not alone, but you are with us. Lord, this morning, we ask that your spirit would work in our hearts because too often we're distracted by other things. We're committed elsewhere. Lord, we get discouraged or downtrodden about our own brokenness to experience this type of life of remaining in you. Lord, would you help us to identify those things that are preventing that in our life? And would you give us strength and guidance and wisdom and perspective? to be able to offer ourselves to you, to be able to experience your presence, your joy, your peace every moment of this day so that your name and your glory may be known in every place that we go. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.